0: Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers.
2: Welcome to the end of Roman Britain, a History Extra podcast special series. This is episode two. Hello and welcome back to History Extra's End of Roman Britain podcast series. This is episode two and my name is David Musgrove, I'm your host for the series. In the first episode I took you to Chedworth Roman Villa, in a quiet corner of rural Western England, for a look at a recently unearthed mosaic that seems to suggest that some people, at least, were trying to carry on a Roman way of life a few decades after the traditional end of Roman Britain. Now that endpoint point is going to be challenged as we go through our series, so hold that thought. But before we can properly interrogate what happened in and around the start of the 5th century, we need a thorough understanding of what things were like in late Roman Britain. And for that I've enlisted the help of Nottingham University's Dr. Will Bowden, who's Professor of Roman Archaeology there and an expert on the topic, he's our guide, and the first thing I asked him was if he could define and characterise late Roman Britain for us. So here we go, over to Will.
3: So we're looking, I think, really at the later third and fourth centuries in Britain when we talk about the late Roman period. And it's a period that is very much characterised by archaeologically visible things, like a lot of the coin finds that we get from Britain come from this period. It's by now a, a monetized economy, or at least there's a lot of coins floating about, Most of the great villas that we get in Britain come from this later period. Um, Conversely, things like towns... Are really quite dramatically changed by this period. So, uh, the things that we associate with towns, like the forum, the public space, uh, this sort of public spaces and this sort of thing, they're really quite dramatically changed by this time. The monumental Roman town uh, seems to be quite, in many ways, quite a, a short-lived phenomenon. And by the uh, by the fourth century these sorts of towns are very much uh, much dramatically changed, I think.
2: Tell me more about the towns, so what, they are in decline in this period? Um, They're in decline,
3: if you think about the town as being represented by a very specific view of the Roman town, which is the one with monumental buildings, people strolling in the Forum and this sort of thing. In some ways, I think this never really takes off in Britain in the same way as it does elsewhere in the uh, in the Rome, Roman Empire. And so we've got a sh- quite a short moment, really, in the second century where towns start developing, um, street grids, public buildings... Uh, and this sort of thing, and start assuming a slightly sort of monumental form. But really, that is changing quite significantly by the uh, later 3rd and 4th centuries. So, for example, mo- uh, uh, a number of the, the fora of Roman Britain, uh, and the forum is the principal sort of uh, government building, public government complex, public meeting space, um, they are being used for often for rubbish dumping and for small scale industrial processes um, by the fourth century. So it's like as if it's as if sort of you know, county hall in uh, any in a county town at the moment has being uh, changed and used for for metal working and this sort of thing.
2: Okay, so uh we'll come back to that in a second, because that's that's an interesting observation. I wonder what's in terms of um sources and our ability to understand late Roman Britain, you've talked about the archaeological evidence um there. Are, are we is it a is it a period in which we have a reasonable level of sources, both archaeological and historical, to understand what's going on? Um no, I think in many ways the
3: archaeology is is a uh, well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say better, but it's certainly more specific to Britain. The problem with our our textual sources um, they're quite limited in number, and few of them are interested really in talking about Britain as as a place. Um, what most writers like about Britain is that it's a long way away from where they're writing and it's it's over the sea so that's difficult and it's full of weird people and one of the the idea of Britain being a long way away and weird is a continuous trope that we see in in Roman literature Um, yeah really from the moment people start writing about Britain so We have a number of sources in praise of emperors in the, uh, particularly in the fourth century, the so-called the Panegyrici Latini. Uh, And these are people writing uh, paeans of of praise of particular emperors and their achievements. And one of these achievements is quite often putting something right in Britain and the uh, the achievement of the emperor is enhanced by the fact that britain is a long way away it's over a stormy sea and is generally quite, uh, quite a quite a problematic place so that's what that's one of the key things that interests roman writers about britain is it forms uh, an arena for achievement um, some of the um, the Sources uh, also—they obviously focus on Britain when there is a problem to be dealt with, and so it's things like um, usurpations and rebellions, attacks by barbarians that tend to figure quite heavily in the textual in the textual sources, and because that's the moment when Britain impinges on the on the consciousness of these uh, of roman writers but it's also worth remembering that we have a very limited number of sources that actually actually discuss discuss britain and there are certain periods of time that are yeah that see more more attention than others but this is i mean this is the big problem with the late 4th and 5th century in that the sources are are very limited and tend towards a picture of catastrophe, uh, which is often not quite borne out by the archaeological evidence.
2: Just going to take a pause there and play back uh, a quote that Will said in that last answer. The sources are very limited and tend towards a picture of catastrophe, which is often not quite borne out by the archaeological evidence. That's a pretty interesting comment, which we'll come back to during the series. But I wanted to know if we do have any voices surviving that could be described as directly from late Roman Britain. So back to Will for an answer to that.
3: We have uh, we have no one writing from the point of view of someone who is in Britain yet yeah, until we get to until we get to Gildas. Uh, in the you know in the 6th in the 6th century so uh nothing is being written from a british a british point of view
2: okay so we're hearing voices from afar um talking about what what they see about Britain but not very many voices th- specifically talking about it and we've got archaeological evidence which is um i guess somewhat patchy in in some places what what it, give us the political framework for the for the period what sort of things do these um distant voices tell us was going on in Roman Britain i guess in in the wider empire during this period
3: well it's a period of uh often of political political turmoil and with the from the later 3rd the later 3rd century we have a system of government in which the the empire is divided into two, and so we have uh, an emperor in charge of the Eastern Empire and an emperor in charge of the Western Empire, and those emperors have that, uh, they're the Augustus, and then they have a junior emperor called a, a Caesar, who is supposed to take over, uh, and the Caesar is supposed to take over from the Augustus um, after a period of time, and it's supposed to ensure an orderly transition of power. Um, but what happens is that these uh you start to get any number of different claimants to the uh the imperial throne and these uh, yeah so we have uh, numerous people claiming the claiming the imperial throne and quite often fighting each other. Uh, a Britain plays quite a big role in this. Uh, It's described later uh, by um, uh, Jerome as a land fertile in tyrants. Uh, So Britain seems to be throwing up quite a lot of these, uh, these usurpers. And that's probably because it has quite a large military garrison, and it's a garrison which is a long way from Rome and obviously These forces, they support their own leaders. And so we have a number of usurpers coming from Britain and being declared as emperor and then often then going off into Gaul and either becoming successful for a time or being defeated by the incumbent emperor. So it's it's a period of political turmoil, certainly, or at least that it's political turmoil that gets emphasised in our sources.
2: Would you say that Roman Britain was still in some ways felt like a frontier province you know, in, in this, in this period, obviously it had been uh, part of the Roman empire for several centuries by the time we get to this. And, but you mentioned it was, it was heavily militarized still. Does it still, does it, does it still have that sense of being uh, the outer extremities of the empire, which physically it was clearly.
3: It's very much integrated, I think, into the, into the empire. And, one of the things that Britain is really doing in this period is uh, is functioning as uh, a key part of the supply chain of the Roman military. And so we've got you know pretty good evidence uh, that both textual and archaeological uh, that Britain is supplying the Rhine frontier of the you know, so supplying the garrison on the Rhine frontier um with yeah you know, cereals um possibly meat and other other products and so britain is absolutely crucial to uh, the western empire in that's in that sense but the fact that it's always across the across the channel uh, i think that does put it on the you know mentally and of course physically on the edge of the on the edge of the roman empire and we also i think have to remember that when we think of what we tend to think about as roman britain uh really constitutes you know between a third and a half of you know of, of the British of the the British mainland, so there's quite large sections of Britain that are never really participating in the to the same extent. Um, you know that the the southern and central parts of Britain are.
2: That, that, that's a good point. Could you perhaps just characterize a bit, a bit more um, fully for us the different um, way of life across Britain generally? So you've got this the, the southern area where perhaps it's more, more Romanized, uh, and the north where things are a little more militarized. Perhaps I don't know how how would you what, how would you describe the differences geographically in Britain?
3: Okay, so we've got a we've got a zone um, which is the the southern part and the the central part of the country. So we've got the southeast, then we've got places like Wiltshire, Oxfordshire, um, and then a sort of eastern half of the uh, of the country, um, and that produces most of the things that we sort of tend to associate with Roman Britain. Um, so towns, villas, um, extensive use of uh, ori- initially imported pottery um, and then other types of fineware material. Uh, also probably the places that are participating most in mm. yeah, in terms of new forms of, uh, of change, forms of diet and consumption. So that's the things that... You know, turn up in all our textbooks as being Roman Britain, and when you study Roman Britain at uh, at school or whatever, that's the bit that produces the the pictures that uh, you see of things things that are Roman. Um, but we've also got other parts of the country which are doing really quite different, quite different things. Um, but I think which are still equally. Important. If you look in the in the West Country, say in, in Cornwall, um, there are a lot of you know, settlements there. Places like Caistor um, or uh, Trithurgi, which are small settlements where people are living in uh, stone. Stone roundhouses in a way a way of life which is very much removed from what we think of being uh, Roman Britain, but they are still in receipt of imported materials, um, still using non-local pottery. So in some ways, I think it's a, it's a conceptual thing. Yeah, this is going on in the fourth century in Britain. Yeah, just as much as people are living in villas like Chedworth, and it's just simply the way that we conceptualise these these areas. Uh, Scotland also is very much part of this world. Even though large swathes are are outside Roman political control, there is still a lot of uh, Roman material, particularly silver coinage, uh, going into uh, going into Scotland and playing probably a key role in how people in Scotland are, um, uh, they well they're using they're using this types of material uh, for their own for their own purposes in constructing sort of political and political and social relations. So places like Scotland and Cornwall, which tend to be left out of the general uh the general uh, appreciation i suppose of of roman britain are still very much i think a part of it but just part just in slightly different ways
2: just that's an interesting point you make about Scotland. Does the sort of the reach of the empire go across the Irish Sea as well to Ireland? What, do do we have any sense about what was what was going on there uh, and and how similar or different it was to um to what was happening in in Romanized Britain?
3: There's always been quite a lot of quite a lot of dispute about that and the idea of a Roman presence in Ireland has often been has often been quite uh quite politically charged um in in ireland but there's certainly increasing evidence i think of uh material making it across across the irish sea and as we get into the as we get into the fifth and as we get into the fifth and sixth century a little a little later um, we're certainly seeing a i think you know a network in which um Ireland and you know the West of Britain are, are very much, very much connected.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash history extra. Just go to indeed.com slash history extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored, Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers.
2: Let's just take a moment of pause here. Will's given us a good picture there of where Roman Britain was and where Roman Britain wasn't geographically. But I want to get a better understanding as well of how Romanisation impacted on Britain's social strata. As we go through this series, you're going to hear several of our experts talking about different reactions from the elite part of society versus the rest to changing circumstances through the 5th century. So I thought it'd be useful to check in with Will now to see if it is a reasonable assumption to imagine a society in late Roman Britain which was wildly unequal
3: uh yes i think that's a, i think that's a reasonable uh, a reasonable assumption to make um one of the problems that we have of course is that there are only a very a relatively small number of people tend to be the most visible in both textual sources and in archaeological sources so it's the richest people that leave the largest often leave the largest traces and leave the traces that traditionally were the subject of interest for archaeologists. So for a long time, people liked digging villas and things with mosaic floors uh, because they looked nice and uh, they could be fitted into the scheme of things by which we understood the political history of Roman Britain. And also, yeah, frankly, they were easier. They were easier to find. Uh, a, a villa leaves a much larger archaeological trace than a, yeah, a settlement that has, is made of much less, uh, uh, much less permanent materials. Um, so there are a lot of there is a s- certain number of people who are doing extremely well out of it, and some of the wealth. That turns up in Britain um, in things like the hoard evidence. We're talking really enormous quantities of uh, of silver, um, silver particularly, but also also gold. And so, yeah, certain people uh, wealth is really concentrated in the hands of a certain uh, a certain fairly small number of people.
2: Right, so. We've got got a period where things are changing, clearly. You've talked about towns feeling a bit different in terms of what's going on in them. What challenges are people in Roman Britain facing during the course of the later third and fourth century, and how are they addressing them, do you think?
3: In terms of challenges, I think we have to be a little bit wary of seeing the picture extrapolated from the textual sources of you know, continuous political unrest and uh the attacks from people from beyond the beyond the frontiers. Uh, I think it's quite likely that although the Emperor may have changed on frequent occasions, it's quite likely that uh, Many people might not have actually noticed this. Uh, they might have noticed when a new head popped up on the uh, uh, popped up on the coinage, but in terms of the actual effects on people's li- lives, um, I think that might have been. Uh, yeah, we we have to be wary of overstating this. I think possibly the real challenge that people were facing is the need to supply a, a large military machine, both on the northern frontier of Britain and, as I say, also on the Rhine frontier uh, in, um, uh, in, in Gaul. And it's, I think it's very clear from the archaeological evidence that quite a lot of what is happening and what is archaeologically visible in Britain is connected with that, that military supply network. Uh, And so I think there's, it's, it's clear that from the archeology of certainly of this central and Southern British area, that a lot of what is happening in Britain is really tied in to that, that supply network. And, I think that's going to be that is clearly going to be quite a an economic burden on the on the province
2: so so people might well have been living fairly sort of stable lives unimpacted by the political turmoil that that textual sources speak of but burdened by having to produce an economic surplus to support um the the military machine of the empire
3: yeah i think that's i think that's right um it's in terms of the overall burden i mean one of the things that we see about roman britain is it is one of britain's sort of first big consumer ages there is a lot of there is a lot of stuff floating about in roman britain it's a very it's archeologically very very visible and so even on the smallest rural sites people have yeah you know, access to you know, quite fine quality to good quality pottery. Um, There are um, items of dress, dress jewellery floating about. Uh, And so certainly I think people, it's a system that also introduces and sustains a certain way of, uh, you know, a certain way of life uh, across the, um, across the, well, parts parts of the province, as I say, you know, for though people who are enslaved or living at the bottom end of the social scale, uh, they tend to be tend to be less visible. Uh, but there's certain parts of the uh, the cemetery evidence, for example, um, that increasingly suggests that parts of the country, particularly these more militarized areas. Are uh, subject to you know. There's some some evidence of of pretty harsh judicial processes uh, going on in places like places like the Fenlands. Uh, there's evidence of uh, quite a lot of evidence of uh, decapitation burials uh, and this sort of thing, which have been interpreted as as representing judicial killings. And so there's, I think there's a, a sense of a, a sense of um, of harsh justice present, also in, certainly in parts of the province.
2: So, so this question is one sort of born with historical hindsight, and therefore um, pro- probably ridiculous. But is there any sense that there is any any movement towards disengagement from the empire during the fourth century? Are people is there any sort of preparation to to disengage it's hard to say and i think i think we need to be
3: wary of drawing parallels between more recent uh, recent changes and the the roman empire i think the brexit debate does have some things to tell us in that the the speed I think, at which the debate became focused around Europe was quite uh, quite dramatic in that I suppose you know, 15, 15 years ago or so, it's fair to say that Europe was just something that floated along in the background and was not part of you know the day-to-day discussion um you know bar the odd you know sort of metric martyr defiantly selling you know potato pounds of potatoes on the marketplace um but very rapidly it became a a central issue and while i don't think you know we can draw particularly useful parallels between um, you know the Brexit debate and the end of Rome and Britain. I think the speed by which people's identities sort of coalesced around the issue of being in Europe or outside Europe, um, yeah, you know, is perhaps quite instructive for us, and we can imagine that uh, certain factions would have developed in Britain and I think we probably you know we see this in bits of the army who elevate their legionary commanders um, to uh, uh, to you know to be sort of uh, uh, new new emperors uh, we can I think we can see us get a sense of you know factions um, developing and certainly uh, we get um, this well-known quote from uh, Zosimus, um, his late Roman, a late Roman writer, who tells us that the pressure that uh, the pressure of barbarian invaders obliged the British to uh, throw off Roman rule and in, live independently, uh, no longer subject uh, to Roman laws. So, and some people have argued that uh, there was a Almost a kind of peasant's revolt, if you like, against the against the imposition of uh, against the sort of the tax regime and the sense that the advantages of being part of the Roman Empire uh, were no longer obvious. Although there's very much uh, debate around you know, around the extent to which that was the case.
2: So Zosimus was writing in the early fifth century, wasn't he?
3: That, that's right. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, where do you stand on this debate? Was there was there a dramatic dislocation? You've just made a very interesting point that things change very rapidly. Do you see something significant happening at the start of the fifth century?
3: Yes, I think I would see something uh, fairly significant happening at the start of the fifth. I mean, what's what we have to be really careful of is that archaeologically, the change is extremely visible. And we go from a period in which there is, you know, for example, a lot of very well made, uh, very well made um, hard fired pottery, um, mass produced, uh, being circulated around Britain, and uh, quite widespread use of coinage, um, which is also. You know, pretty prevalent in Britain throughout the or large swathes of Britain throughout the fourth, the fourth century. Uh, really that all disappears in the first um uh in the first uh, sort of couple of decades really of the fifth century. And for archaeologists that creates an enormous problem because we move from a period in which we've got loads of Really nicely datable stuff, um, you know, things that happen in the fourth century we can normally place archaeologically within a sort of couple of decades, you know, which is which is great archaeologically. And then we move to, straight into the fifth century, into a moment where all this stuff really um, disappears, or at least dramatically diminishes. And so, I think probably for archaeologists uh it creates a highly visible problem and it, we may overstate the impact of it one of the interesting things about the loss of the people the loss of coinage um coins really stop coming into britain from about 402 in in large numbers although small numbers trickle in after that and yeah. You know, by and large, people seem to stop using coins. And I think that's quite interesting in that it's clear that they, for most of the Roman period, people got by without using coins. There's a big sort of explosion of coin usage in the third century. Um, and so people use coins pretty, in- for various things, pretty enthusiastically um, for. Say, you know a century and a half, and then they stop and they they're clearly getting by by without them. I think Britain probably dropping out of the economic system of the Roman Empire, and that is an economic system, as I say, predicated on military supply. I think that has a dramatic effect. On the sorts of things that we as archaeologists find and tend to study, but whether that effect is actually oh whether that effect is actually overstated um uh, i'm not I'm not sure, but certainly there are sort of really quite dramatic changes from the fifth century onwards, and not only in in material culture. Uh, in pots and coins but then slightly later on we also see you know changes in changes in diet um, and changes in other other sorts of other sorts of behavior so I think it's pretty I I think it's pretty dramatic I think the idea of uh, uh, the sort of long fifth century in which yeah sort of Roman rule more or less continues but in a way that's very hard for us to see, um, I think in some ways that's in some ways that's that's quite quite tricky. But we should also see a country that is uh, frag- probably quite fragmented, and in say you know the West in the West country in places like places like um, Wiltshire. Uh, it may well have things may well have carried on in a much more recognizable or recognizably roman form than they than you know was the case in say the east of the east of
2: britain so that takes us back to the the sort of the geographical divide again some places you would definitely have noticed a change by the sound of things and in other places you might have carried on a life broadly similar to what you were um, engaging in before
3: yeah and i think it's uh as certainly in the west of britain we see people even in the fifth century i think adopting a uh, a sort of newly a new roman life so you've got places like um again cornwall where you see the emergence of people using uh uh inscriptions and to a much greater level and also in receipt of imported material from the, the Eastern Mediterranean. And um, this material you know, is turning up in even at sort of quite really quite rural, quite rural sites. Um, so yeah, I think a a regional, a regionally varied response um, to what's you know to the the changes of the fifth century is is something that's really quite apparent.
2: I, I'm just trying to uh, give our listeners an idea about what life might have been like for people who sort of lived who someone who was born in the year 400 AD in Roman Britain, and obviously as from what you said, there's going to be clearly differences depending on who they were and, and where they lived in Roman Britain. But w- what might the experience have been like for them? Would it they, they, they would have noticed that something was going on, uh, or or maybe they wouldn't?
3: I think they would have had to have noticed that something was something was going on. If you're born in 400, um, certainly you know, your parents are probably participating in you know, aspects of what we see as um, Roman life in terms of. You know, using uh, in terms of using coins, um, in terms of having access to you know, a range of a range of material goods, and that range of material goods you know, does seem to does seem to does seem to disappear. I think it's also the case that people's aspirations might have might have changed the way you you know you would identify perhaps not with being part of you know the roman empire but other identities might have supplanted that and i think we certainly get more fragmented power regional power structures emerging and so your allegiances may have been much more uh much more local than uh yeah than they would have been say in the, in the fourth century, I think in the mid fourth century most people would have ex- in Britain um you know would have accepted that they were part of that roman that Roman political structure, whereas I think you know in the decades of the early decades of the fifth century, that would have been you know much more much more ambivalent and I think if you are born in four hundred um it would have been, I think, quite a, you know, quite a challenging moment for people's, you know, sense of identity, their, uh, allegiances. Um, and of course, we've got, you know, we've got, uh, also we've got religious, uh, religious change as well, um, through this, through this period, which adds another, another layer to it. So I think we're getting a whole range of different and new identities, perhaps. Uh, emerging and i think that may well have been quite challenging for people
2: but it sounds like you're so identity is being readdressed and reassessed but it sounds like you're not arguing for a period of uh, apocalyptic collapse apocalyptic collapse
3: um not as a whole but i think you know there are there's you know there are you know probably probably incoming you know incoming groups of people in the fifth century and we know that you know we know that immigration you know causes causes issues and it's certainly likely that you know for many of the people living in the early fifth century there may have been episodes that would have been you know pretty bloody and unpleasant uh i don't think we should I don't think we should um we should overlook that. That said, the you know the evidence of wholesale you know burning massacres and this sort of thing remains you know, conspicuously absent, I think, from from Roman Britain. Um but I don't think we should I don't think we should underestimate the extent to which you know these sorts of changes um can produce some you know pretty pretty unpleasant outcomes
2: you've been listening to professor will bowden from the university of nottingham talking about the context of late roman britain and if you want to h- hear more from will he's written a really good feature for the website historyx.com all about the fall of roman britain so do take a look at that uh, now, Will mentioned religious change in that conversation, I'll be talking to David Petz about that in a future episode, but next time round I'll be talking to Rob Collins about the military side of late Roman Britain, and perhaps exploring some of those unpleasant outcomes that Will just mentioned, which the change in nature of military power might have brought about. So do come back and listen into that.